Uh, our text this morning is Colossians. Uh, that's where we've been studying uh, this letter this summer. So please turn to chapter 3. And uh, it should be around page 980-something uh, in the Pew Bible, that black Pew Bible in front of you. And you will need the, the Bible open uh, as we uh, work our way through. Uh, this chapter marks, uh, uh, chapter 3 marks kind of a transition because uh, Paul has written this letter. Is my mic on? Um, the, the, the transition is such that uh, you can't in some ways miss it because he's been discussing uh, at length what Christ has done and who Christ is and the hope that is ours, the freedom that is ours because of the divine, uh, because of the God-man, uh, Jesus. And uh, now he's moving to speak of not what Christ has done, but what we do in response to that. So we've kind of we're transitioning between more doctrinal teaching uh, to some more practical things. And uh, in case you didn't think the Bible was practical this morning, uh, we are talking about uh, money and sex and anger and things like forgiveness. And uh, and so as you can see, it's not relevant. Uh, but I do want to say to to young people, to students. Sometimes I, it's either delivery or you just not getting it. But uh, uh, that was a joke. But uh, you should be able to pay attention. This is going to be a little bit longer sermon because we are talking uh, some about sex. And uh, and this morning I want to say to young people, to students, uh, that is a healthy biblical God given uh, reality. Sex is. We're not talking about gender here. We're talking about sex. And, and so if you have questions about that, I would encourage you to talk to your parents and make it awkward for them and for you. And, uh, and tru- truly, you will find uh, wisdom there in talking to them. Also, in opening up God's word. Recall from last week uh, that we discussed how Christianity is not, and this, is, this pertains to any number of areas, is not a moral code. Uh, Christianity is not a collection of ethical uh, rules, a, a way to live life, a philosophy of how to function well in your life. It's not as if you can just say, here are my dreams and aspirations. If Jesus can bless that, then Jesus plus whatever, perfectly fine. No, it is uh, for us, we understand that Christ is the center. It truly is all about Jesus. It always kind of bugs me when someone says, so-and-so is all about blank. It's always an oversimplification, and I get the point, but it's like, you know, so-and-so, he's just all about Sports, or I'm all about this, or McDonald's is all about making customers happy. That's not true. Uh, they're, they're about making money. Uh, uh, we, we understand it's, it's oversimplified, but it is true to say that Christianity is all about Jesus. And Jesus will transform more than just your morality. Jesus can and will, if you meet him, if you follow him, will change much more than just your how to work out your agenda. If you confess your sins, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the risen Savior and follow him, I have good news for you this morning. We've already rehearsed this, and Paul's already talked about it in the opening chapters again and again and again and again, and that is that sweet, mysterious gift of the doctrine of our union with Christ. That if we repent and believe... And if you're here today and that's not you, I'm telling you, you can be today united to Jesus Christ. That is better than, a, than anything we can imagine. In fact, it's so extensive, the, the myriad of benefits and blessings that come in our union with Christ, that we can say with confidence that our life, Paul says, the apostle writes here in verse 4, we're about to read it, that Christ is our life. 
So I know you just sat down. Please stand again in deference to God's word. We're going to read these opening 11 verses. If then, Paul writes, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's on account of these the wrath of God is coming. And these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no... Uh, There is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's ask for his help. Uh, God, would you please uh, accompany, Father, this, your word, with your spirit, that you might uh, cause us within us uh, exhortation and encouragement. Would you forgive us? Would you forgive me, uh, an unworthy sinner, to proclaim the mysteries of of the beauties of the good news uh, for us in this portion of your story of love and forgiveness. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Have you ever called someone uh, a name? Well, of course you have. Uh, Have you ever called someone a name or given them a label that uh, is meant to be very critical? Well, Of course you have. Have you ever called someone? Let me be more specific. Have you ever called someone a liar? Yes, you have. Directly, indirectly, screaming, whispering, gossiping, into their face, behind their back. Have you ever called someone a liar? Yes, you have. I have. How'd that work out for you? Sometimes it doesn't go all that well. Frankly, I think we can all relate to the fact that many times, I, not always, but many times, people would rather be called lazy or dumb than be called a liar. In other words, there are many people who still value truthfulness more than, say, fitness. I remember years ago, I sat down with a friend. There were three of us. There was another uh, brother that... Love this friend, and we felt that it was important in the spirit and in the instruction of Matthew 18 to approach him. His name is Mike. We'd walked with Mike, knew Mike very well, cared a great deal about Mike, cared a great deal about Mike and his wife, Anna. They had been married for five years, and uh, it was coming into light that Mike planned on moving out and abandoning his marriage. So we, we pleaded with Mike, please, Mike, don't, don't do this. He had said all along, that no, 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 there's no other woman involved. But we found out the truth slowly over time. He was romantically interested and planned on moving in with another woman. And we told Mike, Mike said, listen, you have no business here. And I, I said, well, we do. Uh, you made membership vows and you asked for this accountability. And trust me, if I didn't love you, I would ignore you and gossip about you. But I'm here and we're trying to speak the truth and love to you. 
And he said, well, I'm, I'm not interested in Christianity. I'm not following Jesus. It was Jonathan Edwards, that great uh, philosopher and theologian who once said that people, why do they live virtuous lives? Most people live them out of restraint. Others, more specifically Christians, should live a virtuous life not out of restraint, but a changed heart and a changed life. And I could see that Mike's heart didn't seem changed. And so I I thought maybe I can appeal to restraint. And I said to him, Mike, I wasn't there. You can set Jesus aside and you could ignore the church and you could ignore uh, these things. But I wasn't there on your wedding day. But I would venture to guess that something sounded like this. And joy and sorrow and sickness and health and plenty and want. Forsaking all others till death do us part. If you leave Anna, you're a liar. He didn't like that. I did not persuade him. I tried. We want to be known as a people of truth, don't we? True to our word, true to our principles, true to our commitments, true to ourselves. And that's good. But it's easier said than done. And then we have this other reality tugging away at us and uh, and it's the enemy, uh, the enemies of the flesh, the world, and the devil. The devil, Satan, is known as, uh, in Scripture, Jesus said, the father of lies. That's his native tongue. He's been speaking it from the beginning. Well, you have hope, though. You don't just have an enemy. You don't have a world and, 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 a, and a flesh inclined towards lies and people telling this. It's that we have hope. We have Hope, like I said earlier, we are united to Christ. And if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And that can mean, that's, that, that has all kinds of things. That's a new position, a new heart, a new home, a new inheritance, a new family, a new motivation. I'm going to pick two, though. Here's two this morning. You see them listed in the order of service a new hope and some new garments. And it, it, with that new hope, In these opening four verses, I think we would see that we are called to remember and to refocus. And then the latter verses, beginning verse 5, with these new garments, we're told to put off something and put on something. Now, if you're not united to Christ yet by faith, uh, you're not yet a follower of Christ, then this is the power I'm inviting you to consider coming, to enjoy, to know, to become acquainted with. And that can be done today. First of all, this new hope... We spoke briefly last week about the dangers of, of the temptation of compare, comparison, right? When we compare ourselves to other people, uh, we don't like it when people judge us. Uh, and, we, and, and we shouldn't let other people judge us uh, and make uh, decisions and choices out of fear of other people's opinion. That, too, is easier said than done. But when Paul here is trying to say we have a new orientation and we ought to remember and refocus in that. And these first two verses, he's saying you should seek something and set something. Seek the things that are above and set your mind. Set your mind on where Christ is. Where do you set your mind? Where do you set your mind? On a day-to-day basis. More specifically, where do you set your mind when it's quiet? Where, where, do you, where does your mind with, with very... Little uh, effort, where does it gravitate towards 
in those quiet moments when you don't have your phone or God forbid your phone dies? Where do you go? Where's your mind set upon? What should we remember? What should we refocus on? The benefits and the realities are our union with Christ. We have died and we are now hid, verse 3 says. So we are safe. That's, to say that we are hidden with Christ who is our life, he's talking about the legal benefits of our union with Christ. Legally speaking, we stand condemned. We have guilt and shame. Our status as sinners uh, de- de- declares us as separate and alienated from God, but we can be reconciled in Him. Remember, that's the phrase. How, where do we come up with this idea of union with Christ? Over a hundred times we see it in Scripture, in the New Testament, in Him, with Christ, in Christ, that phrase. Being united to Christ means that we do die. We die with Him. We die to our our old sinful ways. It doesn't have power over us. And we live with him and for him. It's a secure position. Paul says elsewhere in Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith. Earlier in that same chapter, he says, so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ And not by observing the law. We've been studying the law. We've been unpacking the law. And we can't obey it fully. Christ has. We want to be hid. Secure in him. United to Christ and justified. Then we have this new hope of a new. Things like a new home. Right? We could refocus and recalibrate that reality. When we're dissatisfied here. As we should be. (laughs) Frankly. Not, not, Not a bad reality. Come to grips with the fact that we're pilgrims. Verse 1 and verse 4 both speak to this. The, the residential benefits, if you will. Verse 1, it's, the, it's the, the nature of the kingdom is what you already have. You were raised with Christ. Future looking, verse 4, it is this, the not yet. Then you will appear with him in glory. So our, our current citizenship, our, our residence was where we live, but our citizenship is with Christ and his kingdom. And, and that is a kingdom that is already enjoyed in part, but not yet in its full consummation. Only, only when uh, we experience the resurrection of our bodies that we talk about in the Apostles' Creed, as Scripture says. These truths grant us hope when our circumstances are, are, are stinky and stinging with suffering and trials These grant us purpose as we grow towards something. Remember and refocus in this aspect too of the benefits that we have even existentially. We have freedom to focus our hearts and minds on things above. We're free for living. Not not just uh, for, like I said, a list of morality. We're free now not to live according to the hollow, deceptive uh, philosophy that Paul talks about earlier here. We have a new ethic. We're a new people, a new ethic of things like gratitude and joy. In the free Christian life, which we're going to be talking about uh, more and more, we have access because we're united to Christ. The power to be uh, employed for a reason that involves our hearts and minds. Seek the things that are above. Some translations set your hearts. The phrase things above, here Paul is talking with spatial 
you know, term, so to speak, but he's describing a future age. He wants us, them and us, to set our, our moral vision on the divine reality that is to come. No, nothing too specific here. And don't think that when we say seek the things that are above, it means just standing up looking at this ethereal realm of clouds and uh, you know, angels and, and, and the expanse of nothingness. No, the heavenly realms is the kingdom to come in Christ. Seeing what Christ and his life and his peace and his order and his mercy and his justice, he embodies and, uh, what he will institute in all perfection when he comes back. But don't be mistaken when it says don't set your mind and heart on earthly things that it means that we can just do some kind of spiritual escapism. You know what I mean by that? that don't, don't be confused to say, well, let me just go and, and just leave the world and turn everything off and, and you know, uh, go to a remote cave or a remote place where I don't have all of that noise or temptation. Spiritual escapism, we still find joy here on earth as God intended. We still have responsibilities. We still have to clean our gutters and, yes, clean our toilets. And, yes, we should enjoy the good gifts of this creation. Food. Specifically seafood uh, and barbecue. But... uh, but food and art and beauty and other parts of creation, that's not a, the violation of these verses. Paul is rather speaking of an orientation of life. Sure, we have to do these practical, practical things on earth. Yes, we get to enjoy some of the practical things. But they are not inherently evil. But our focus and our preoccupation and our satisfaction needs to go beyond to the things that are above, to Christ, where he is seated, verse 1, as we're told, at the right hand of God, which is, again, it's, it's, there's metaphoric language here, that that's a place of, of honor and authority that God the Son enjoys. So that's part of those opening verses, four verses about our new, our, 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 our new hope. But what about these new garments? What about this, this change, which you can't miss in verse 5? When he shifts and starts to talk about what they should and shouldn't do. If we're united to Christ, then we should be putting off certain things, which is mostly verse 5 to 11. And then we should be putting on certain things. And we'll pick that up in more detail next week in verses 12 to 17. Hopefully you can see that there in the text. Go ahead, read ahead. Not now. Uh, I will focus uh, just on two overarching sins uh, when we talk about putting off. Right? Or dying to something. And those sins are sexual sins and sins of anger. In addressing both of these, I want to, to try to hone in and to demonstrate uh, the importance of truthfulness. With addressing uh, with these, there is so much sin offers so much deceit. And even when we're united to Christ, we should understand that we have the power to embrace what is true a unique power to embrace what is true, a unique power to embrace what is the reality and not an illusion or what we imagine to be true. Truthfulness. Truthfulness in a a multitude of areas. Verse 6 says, on account of these, the the sins he named in verse 5, 
which string together, like I'm going to point out in, in sexual sin, he says it's on account of these that the wrath of God is, is coming. Now, that's not a threat to them. Okay? Because he goes on to say in the next verse, that's the way you used to walk. They're secure. He's not saying God's wrath is going to come and crush you for eternal condemnation. Although we may and we do face the consequences of our sin temporarily in this life, perhaps. The, de- the degree to which we don't is the mercy of God. But he's not saying the wrath of God's coming for you. He's saying that's the old way. That's not true to you. If you are a Christian, the reason you don't go there isn't because you're afraid of being sent to hell. The reason you don't go there is because you don't need to. You don't have to. You're not supposed to. That's the old you. That's why you put this off. So let's start with this. Put to death. That's the strongest of language, he says in verse 5, which is not promoting violence. It's not trying to, to uh, you know, highlight the importance of harshness towards our physical uh, bodies, but rather to relate these things, excuse me, relate to these things as if they were dead and powerless over us. Right? And, and by the way, in verse 5, and let me read it again for us. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, all of these, excuse me, not all, but four of these are all uh, related to uh, sex. The, the Greek word it has in view sexual sin. The last is then covetousness. Paul is not speaking of sexuality or even our sexual desires as if they're inherently bad. Again, don't be confused. Sex is this gift that God has given for, uh, for a husband and wife to enjoy in the context of commitment. He's not saying, rather, he is specifically stating sexual immorality and things like impure or evil desires. I always say, you know, sexual sin is so often it is like a candy sugar-coated poison. Some of you are shaking your head. I appreciate that honesty. There's so much appeal and promise and, and external beauty, and it promises so much, and then you swallow it and you ingest, and it just delivers lies and disappointment. Even death. The lies are abundant throughout our culture and media. Pornography and fantasies make it even cheaper and easier. And there are plenty of lies there. But when we engage in these sins, we perpetuate the untruth. And we're lying ourselves. And I would say specifically, and I'm going to do this both with, both with sexual sin and with sins of anger which Paul has in view here, and that's how that relates to our truthfulness with respect to God, other people, and ourselves, okay? So follow with me if you would. We're not being truthful uh, to God. Verse 5 testifies the pursuit of these things is idolatry, right? Putting something or some, someone in the place of God, anything, Remember, like I said, when we, when we covet someone else's spouse, let's say, we're breaking the 10th commandment. Right? What we, are, we read it earlier, right? Like, what, what's, what's prohibited? You know, that coveting. But it's also idolatry and breaking at the same time the first commandment, which is to say, you should have no other gods before me. 
But what you're saying at that moment is, God, you're not supreme. God, I need this. But we're really confusing it because we're saying I desire this and you're not giving it to me. You're not good. Your timing stinks. God's way is just not working out for me. Perhaps we justify ways to help us quench our passions and satisfy our flesh. We're not being true to God. Here's the other thing. We're not being true to ourselves. Because he said in verse 7, in the ways that we once walked when you were living in them. It's like the story I heard of a restaurant owner. Restaurant owner uh, walks uh, up to his restaurant in the back alley. He finds a man who's distressed and hungry. And uh, he's digging through and rummaging uh, the leftovers of of, uh, the restaurant's uh, thrown out food. And the man, the restaurant owner says to him, listen, come inside, sit down. Whatever you want. You want steak? We'll make you a meal right now. No charge on the house. At the end of the meal, he was very grateful. He says, in fact, I would love for you to come here once a day, any day, and we will feed you whatever you want and we'll make you a meal. The man was grateful. The man was, was, uh, was stunned, shocked. But the next day, he caught the man digging in the trash again. Proverbs 26, verse 11. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Of course, we're not dogs. But that's the sarcastic, biting nature of this saying. Don't you get it? How ludicrous it is if we as Christians do the same thing. Why would we as Christians who have been given a new life and a new appetite and a new home return to the things that failed to bring us true life and satisfaction? Moreover, they brought us death and they've they've only damaged us. We do so because we're deceived into thinking that we must do so sometimes. We're faced with temptation. We sometimes conclude that we have no other option. But at this point, we're not embracing the truth that we are new creatures in Christ. We now have power over the dominion of sin. Sure, we're not freed from the effects of sin. We're not freed from the influence of sin. But it does not have the same dominion and power over those who are united to Christ. We're not helpless. We are freed children of God. So that's the truth, right? Do you see what I'm saying? It's not true to ourselves and our new identity. And the last thing, it's not true. It's not truthful to other people. Now, this may seem somewhat strange, but sexual sins, even lust, that which we think is so contained uh, in the mind, is not just a lying idolatry against God. It's lying about other people who are made in the image of God with dignity and value and worth. Sexual sin is dehumanizing. It's dehumanizing to to oneself and to others. We misuse the body, reduce others to a state. Well, even though being in the, the image of God, we, we reduce them to be a possession or an object. We're reminded of the, the crucial truth of God's image impressed upon us from our creator. That's what verse 10 says. God can help us die to the warped, abusive views of sexuality. If we will begin to acknowledge 
and remind one, uh, one another of the truth that truly satisfied. I'm, I'm on like a three or four week kick here of quoting C.S. Lewis. But in his famous work, Mere Christianity, he compares the sexual appetite in the biological realm to that of an appetite for food. And he admits, you know, it's not uncommon to find a person who can eat enough food for two people. But it's a little bit odd, he says, when people have enough appetite to eat for ten people. The appetite at that point goes way, way, way beyond the biological purpose of that appetite. Do you understand? So what he's saying is, he cites how easy it is, Lewis says, to be in a country in a day to gather a large, imagine if you gathered a large audience together for uh, a striptease act. Wouldn't be hard. He said, imagine coming to a country where you find a theater filled. Now he wrote this, you know, 80 plus years ago. Filled simply by bringing in a covered plate on stage and then slowly lifting it as the lights went out. And you see, it's a, it's a, it's a pork chop. Lewis states, would you not think that in that country something had gone wrong with the appetite for food? And would, you not, and would not anyone who had grown up in a different world think that something was equally queer about the state of the sex instinct among us? I'm sorry, Lewis writes, to have to go into all this detail, but I must. The reason why I must is that you and I, for the last 20 years, have been fed all day long on good, solid lies about sex. He is correct, and the lies have definitely continued on. Maybe it's worth us just stopping to pray right now. Father, pray. Have mercy, we ask, that you would help us, even people in this room right now that need to let go and turn and repent. Forgive us for the ways that we've believed lies. Bring it to light that we might confess our sins to others and seek help. Holy Spirit, help us not to believe or practice lies with regard to to this gift of intimacy and sex. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm not done, so uh, hold on. Sorry you didn't bring your fan. And, and uh, we're, we're, we're gonna talk about being red-faced. Some of you already are, but I'm talking about red-faced mad, not hot. Sins of anger is where he kind of shifts next in verse eight because he lists another five things. He said five things in verse five. Now he says five things here, verse eight, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Okay? How does an average person, which all of us are sinners, so I'll just say the average sinner deal with anger? Well, sometimes it's rage, right? It's immediately yelling, getting violent. And then there's things like malice. That's a little more calculated, right? Anger, rage. Then there's other people... The manner in which they deal with anger is lashing out subtly or whispering out or slander or gossip or filthy language. I was grateful to discover that in the original language, it's not talking about cussing. Uh, it, it's talking about the words that we use with the intent to, to hurt. And in a similar fashion, sec, as, as, with the, as is with the case with sexual sins, sins that are tied to anger also dwell in this realm in rebellion, in rebellion against God's desire and design. With regard to truthfulness. So like I said, how does it relate to truthfulness 
to God, truthfulness to ourselves and to others. Truthfulness to God. What is anger often most readily tied to? You could say it's other people. You could say it's circumstances. But oftentimes our anger, if we're transparent and honest, is tied to things like our pride and our privilege. We don't believe we are getting what we deserve. When it's really not what we deserve, it's what we desire. I desire this. Really, I deserve this. And you're not giving it to me. Or this isn't working out. And now I'm angry. And at times it's almost as if we are concluding, God, I'm lashing out in anger and justified in it, we think, because you're not giving me, God, what I want and others are not treating me right either. Sins of anger are often tied to control and lies about God's character, God's promises. Like I said earlier, God, you're not good. Sure, I I know that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, but I need to, I mean, I need to take some matters into my own hands. I'm going to write this. I'm going to show justice. It might be justice. It may be unrighteous anger. Not all anger, just like sex, is not sin. But let's talk about truthfulness to ourselves here because, again, this is where we can be dishonest and inauthentic to ourselves as God's children. We find people content to simply conclude at times, look, it's just who I am, right? I mean, it's just whatever. I have a little bit of a temper. I'm just a little bit of a hothead. I had a guy, I remember a couple that came to our house for dinner years ago. And they said, yep, well, we won't be coming to your church. Because I know somebody there and I don't like him. And I've just, you know, I'm, a, I'm the type of person that just kind of holds grudges. What? what? Do you know the New Testament? We are new creatures. Verse 9, since you have put off the old man with its practices. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying you have power in reality. Let's be true to who God made you to be. We are not victims. We've been set free. Calling us all to be reminded that our lives, though still tainted with sin, were united to Christ. That's the truth should set us free. And then there's this truthfulness to others. When we, we fall into the sins of anger, verse 9 explicitly is there. I know you're like, Troy, you've been talking about truthfulness, but it's not until verse 9 that what does he say? Do not lie to one another. And so it is with the sins of anger, we often use our mouths not to speak lies to others, but we speak lies about others. And this too, of course, is wrong. And James, inspired of God, says in chapter 3, With it, our mouths, we bless God our Father, and we curse men, whom have been made in the similitude in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. Brothers, these things ought not to be so. God's image bears. That's in anger sometimes in our mouth, who we are slandering with that filthy language, Paul says. Verse 8. Verse 10. I'm near the end. Put on the new self, with its, which is being renewed in the knowledge and after the image of its creator. We're going to take that up next week. The new garments, the new self. 
letting this go. Sometimes it, it, it feels like you have to be so intentional that you're mortifying, putting it to death. But you also have to bring it to life. Does that make sense? To put off and to put on. To put off in mortification and dying. To put on in vivification, pulling to life, reminding ourselves. It's the negative. It's the running away from something. It's the running towards something. And I want to go back because I said at the beginning, we have to have, you know, this, this new hope. But we, we, being united to Christ, need to remember that and refocus in this battle. John Piper, who's a pastor and writer, says that if we're united to Christ, you find the satisfaction here. He says that if we're battling uh, something like lust, this is what he writes. Enjoy a superior satisfaction. Cultivate the capacities for pleasures in Christ. One reason lust, Piper writes, one reason lust reigns in so many is that Christ has so little appeal. We default to deceit because we have little delight in Christ. Don't say, nah, that's not just for me. That's just not for me. What steps have you taken to waken affection for Jesus? Have you fought for joy? Don't be fatalistic. You were created to treasure Christ with all your heart, more than you treasure sex or sugar. If you have a little taste for Jesus, competing pleasures will triumph. Plead with God for the satisfaction you don't have. And then he quotes the psalmist. Psalm 90 says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Piper closes, Then look, look, look at the most magnificent person in the universe until you see him the way he is. I hope that you can see, just in our reflection here with what Paul says, the complexity and the deceitfulness of sin. It's why he's calling the Colossians and us to put off that deceit. I know it because I have embraced the lies in both of these areas more times and in worse ways than I want to admit. But there is hope because verse 11 says Christ is all and he is in all. Even though we have failed to put off sexual sin and those sins tied to anger and our mouths returning to the old self, the old master, the old garments. Even when we are guilty of believing the lies, perpetuating those untruths, there is, my friend, one who comes who is ready to forgive those who ask and to bestow and to give us a righteous record to those who walk by faith. His name is Jesus, and he is the antithesis of our old self. In fact, and this is what I'll close with, this passage in 1 Peter. Speaking of Jesus, 1 Peter 2, Jesus who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not return reviled, Uh, When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Friends, brothers and sisters, this is the one 
who we are united to by faith. And we're just beginning to understand the blessings of being united to him. That's true. Pray with me. Father, please forgive us. At times we almost feel um, not not only deceived, but even saturated with sin. And then when we feel like we have victory, sometimes we're just so self-satisfied in our self-righteousness. Teach us, God, who and what and when and where and how Christianity, through Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world, calls us to a better, truthful life. Thank you, God, for hearing us. Thank you, God, for offering a way. Thank you that you didn't leave us with just rules. You you left us with power and hope and relationship and new life and new home. Thank you, God. We pray that you would meet people who today are struggling with sin, who need boldness to confess, who need courage to take steps. Preserve those who feel they're under the weight of temptation and lies. Comfort, God, those who are suffering. Strengthen those who are suffering. I pray you'd remind those who are doubting. I pray you'd lift up those who are grieving or find themselves depressed. Give eyes, give us eyes to see people and to meet them like Jesus, a man full of grace and truth. In his name we pray and for his sake, even now as we pray together, as he taught his disciples to pray saying, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 